Hi, it's dating coach Chris Luna from Craft Charisma. Welcome to the Craft Charisma podcast, our free audio coaching program where we interview the top experts in the world at helping you become the man you've always wanted to be. My guest today is Dan Griffin. Dan is an internationally recognized author, speaker, thought leader, and expert on men's relationships and masculinity. He is the CEO and lead consultant at Griffin Recovery Enterprises, Inc., and is the host of the Man Rules podcast. He's also the author of several books, including A Man's Way Through Relationships, Learning to Love and Be Loved. Today, he's going to talk to us about conscious masculinity, the man rules, the woman rules, and why all of this is important. Dan, can you tell me a little bit about your background, the work you do, and how you got into it? Sure. I mean, it definitely was not intentional. Um, I've kind of had a roundabout uh, journey, I guess you could say. The way I ended up working with the men's stuff is that it was something kind of internally for me that didn't go away. When I was younger, I uh, ended up uh, having growth hormone shots. And uh, and that was to kickstart puberty. You know, I wasn't growing and um, it kind of gave me an outsider's view to masculinity. And so there was just kind of this constant internal question and confusion around masculinity. And then I ended up uh, with a pretty serious addiction. I got into recovery. And as I got into recovery, that question around masculinity just continued to grow. So even though I had worked in lots of different areas, there came a point where it was just really clear, like I needed to explore this, if for any reason other than just myself and finding some kind of, um, I don't know if peace is the right word, but a little bit more clarity around my sense of being a man and how that was best going to fit into my life. I think a lot of people listening to this are probably feeling very similar or have felt similar. And so I'm curious about your journey. Where were the first places you started as you began this exploration? Well, you know, again, being in recovery, I, I had the benefit of being in a community and being around people who were already on a path of inner life awareness. Um, and so that made a huge huge difference. Um, I, I can only imagine how lost I'd feel or would have felt um, without kind of moving into a culture that said, hey, it's really important for men to become aware of themselves emotionally and to um, begin talking about their feelings in their inner lives. Because, you know, for those of us who have addictive disorders, I mean, if we don't find some ability to handle the stress and deal with that stuff. I mean, that's what takes us back to using. That's what takes us into that place of addiction. And so it's, it's really a life or death decision. So it's not like guys are like, Oh, Hey, I really want to get in touch with my feelings and talk about, you know, and be vulnerable. Um, but we're taught, you know, and, and basically told if you want to live, if you want to save your life, then you need to do that. And so, that's really kind of what gave me the foundation to begin doing it because I was surrounded by other men who were doing it. The first time you experienced that, how did that make you feel? 
So here's here's the thing that I talk a lot about, Chris, is um, there's some core kind of concepts to my work. And, and one is this thing called the water. And then another is the man rules and the woman rules. And I'll just share with you briefly about that, because I think it it's helpful. Um, the water is this idea that uh, it starts with a little parable of two fish are at the bottom of the ocean. Another fish swims up and says, hey, guys, how's the water? and swims off and the two fish look at each other and they say, what the hell is water? And like, that's us, that's our reality. And gender is a huge, huge part of that reality. You know, when we, when a woman's pregnant, one of the first questions we ask is, is it a boy or a girl? And before that baby's born, we begin to write a narrative about that child based on whether it's going to be a boy or a girl. And what we also know is that, when boys are born, they're held less, caressed less, touched less. Um, they're talked to in rougher tones. Like that, there's this narrative that we we live into, and that we then begin to sculpt that child into. That's profound. And so the water is this immersion in that reality that we don't necessarily see. Um, and so to go to your question, um, in many ways, it's like. When I, because I, I was a, I was an undergrad, and so I was studying sociology, and just starting to touch on the concept of gender by taking this class that I took, and then I get into recovery, and so, like when I went to, this to join this group of men, and a man comes up and he tries to hug me, you know, and he says welcome, like. This is 24 years ago. I, I didn't know how to respond. I mean, like, I always say, like, there was a part of me that wanted to lean into it and another part of me that wanted to punch him in the face um, because I just I didn't know how to respond to like, what do you want? Like, why? Why are you? Why are you hugging me? Why are you welcoming? What do you want from me? Like, you know, like this massive kind of distrust amongst men. At the same time, this kind of desperate need for something other than sex for connection um, and uh, and feeling completely isolated from men. You know, women were sex objects and men were fight objects. Um, and so it was like it was profound. And, and then later in that in that experience, when I was having that um, that meeting with those guys, like in the middle was this guy. And his name was Bud, and I can still see him. And, he, and if you imagine Bud as a trucker with a white T-shirt and a big old beer belly, and, you know, you're a, you're a spoiled kid from suburban Maryland, and you walk in and you see that guy, lots of judgments I had about him. But halfway through the meeting, this guy that I had dismissed as just being a local yokel is like, talking about fear and talking about his just talking in a way that I've never heard a man talk, you know, and, and I'm like, what is going on here? So like, for me, that was my, that was my experience. And that was like, Whoa, how are men showing up in this way that is so different? And so like that showed me the water and um, in a really profound way that has been both, um, incredibly 
uplifting and incredibly fulfilling and incredibly painful. Um, and even at points kind of feeling very separate, uh, even from the same men's community that kind of started me on this journey. Can you explain that? Yeah. So, so it's the next kind of part of what I talk about this idea of the man rules, right? So I, I'm sure you talk about something similar. I call them the man rules just because to me, it just really, um, is a great way of naming this experience of how we raise boys to be men and what are the rules around that. And to me, it's important that we call them rules because there's not a lot of choice in it. You know, the, like what, if you said, what are, what are some of the rules that we give boys from all different sources, but that we give boys around how to be men, what would you say are some of those rules that boys are taught to follow? I mean, the very first one is you don't cry. You don't cry. So what's amazing, and this has always been so profound for me, 99% of the time, because I do the same exercise with my audiences and when I do talks and, and all of that, that's always always the first one to come up. So that says how profound that rule is. But then like built into that rule are so many other rules. But when I, like if you and I were to spend time just talking about the manuals and just me kind of getting your own unload of, of what those are to you, you know, we'd get this list and this list is very, very common and it's common in other countries where I've done this work. And it's just been so amazing, but it's like, don't talk, don't be vulnerable. Don't ask for help, be a protector, be a provider. Uh, don't show feelings other than anger. Use sex to connect. Um, in fact, we have a sentence, uh, that we use in our work that is have as much sex as possible whenever possible with as many hot and different chicks as possible with as big of a dick as possible with as little connection as possible. And that kind of came distilled from all the conversations we would have about the pressures and the rules that men feel around sex that are mostly about disconnection. So, I start to have greater and greater awareness around this and I start, you know, studying it for myself. And what I realized is that in these men's communities, especially in recovery, there was like this, this sort of thing where it's like, yeah, we're going to talk about our feelings. We're going to do all this stuff to stay sober, but the man rules are so powerful and the water is so deep when it comes to like, don't cry and don't be vulnerable that there were, certain ways to feel connected and certain ways not to feel connected. And what I would watch is how those man rules would play out in our communities and in our groups in a way that just kind of kept us disconnected from each other because we started posturing again and we started kind of using those man rules as a way to separate ourselves, but to also elevate ourselves because the man rules and being a man is always about being better than it's always about power over. And so even in communities of vulnerability and emotional awareness, the insidiousness of that kind of idea that you have to be better than or have power over somebody can creep in. And because I can I could see it maybe differently than other men, it just created this feeling of disconnection. And I didn't always know how to talk about it. And sometimes when I talked about it, I didn't necessarily feel heard because men didn't necessarily even see what I was talking about. And so 
that's been a part of my own journey has been to find peace with that, to not find it about being less than or better than, to share my truth, but to also not make it about, you know, these other men as if they're somehow less than or better than. And it's, so it's been it's been very interesting. I mean, I think part of the human journey is about really trying to heal that profound sense of loneliness and disconnection that I think just comes with being human. Yeah, I think you make some really important points. I, I mean, for a lot of men, we compete with each other for hierarchy, right? And in the process of that, um, there's certain sort of values that come up. And when I hear the man rules, I hear those things. And and you're right, like if you're in the water or you're going through sort of, the, you're living life through the cultural conditioning that you've been programmed with, it's hard to see anything else. Um, I was at a men's retreat last weekend and I probably cried 15 to 20 times at that damn retreat. <laughs> and uh, one of the things we talked about afterwards is this idea or towards the end was like this integration, right? Because people were so emotional and so vulnerable and it was very, very masculine. But in masculine in a way, a lot of guys probably wouldn't think about when they watch a fucking war movie or whatever. We're no, like these messages we get from our media about what is masculine. But it, I mean, there was a lot of strength in that room and there was a lot of, a lot of emotions and guys were forthright in a way that we seldom ever experience in, in the course of our life. And, uh, but I, I definitely hear what you're, you're saying. And I think you're right on and I find it, I find it fascinating. And, and and it's not original thinking, right? But I think the constructs that I use and the way that I talk about it, um, you know, I have a book, A Man's Way Through Relationships, Learning to Love and Be Loved. And I went through a lot of discussion, maybe not as much as I needed to, but I went through a lot of discussion about what was the title of the book going to be. And I know through interviewing many, many men over the years for my master's research, I wrote a book called A Man's Way Through the 12 Steps. And then I wrote this book and I interviewed men and I, and, and it's clear, like we're looking for love and we're looking to be loved. But if you put that as the title of a book, you know, what are the chances of it selling versus, you know, Hey, why men suck at relationships and what we can do about it or, you know, some, some other clever title. But what I realized is I would be playing into the exact, um, kind of uh, pre pretense and facade that I was trying to respond to if I, if I gave a different title other than a man's way through relationships, learning to love and be loved. I mean, cause that is ultimately what it was about. So I think that's part of it. And you, you talked about integration that to me, that's the essence of it, right? Um, it's, it's what I call conscious masculinity because at some level, whether we know it or not, we follow these rules, these man rules, right? We follow them to be safe. We find that there is safety in following these rules. You know, what happens when you stop crying? You stop getting made fun of. For some of us, we stop getting hit or beat up. Um, what happens when you stop asking for help? You stop being told you're stupid. You stop looking like you don't know what you're talking about. And you begin to put on this pretense so all of those rules are about safety. Well, when you begin to think about brain development, when you begin to think about trauma and fight or flight reactions, ultimately what we're creating is a neural pathway that is in a fight or flight place with these rules. 
And so what I've found is stress as stress and intimacy, right? So, so we, you talk a lot about kind of intimacy and how men can find it in, in healthy ways and, you know, what, what that looks like for creating a successful life. Right. And part of the water, let me, I'll say it like this. Um, and visually it's usually works better, but you've got these manuals, right? Don't, don't cry. Don't ask for help. Don't be vulnerable. Be, be strong. Don't be weak. Um, use sex for connection, always win, um, you know, have power over versus power with. Then we start talking to guys about creating a healthy relationship and creating intimacy. And what are we teaching them to do? Well, you just said it with your men's retreat. We want them to cry, be vulnerable, ask for help share feelings other than anger, find other ways to connect other than sex, be willing to compromise, be willing to share their inner life. So essentially, the essence of connection and intimacy is contradictory to the man rules. That's the thrust of the water. And if the man rules are about safety, then moving into intimacy and vulnerability is inherently unsafe emotionally, existentially, spiritually, and it can trigger a lot of our past pain. So if we're not in a safe place, then we don't even know how to navigate it. And so what I see happening today, you know, in this 21st century is more and more men want, are really being honest about what they want and want in their relationships. They're diving into this vulnerability. They're diving into this effort to be more loving and more you know, transparent in their relationships, but they're, they don't see that dichotomy. They don't see that dissonance between those two play, those two things, the man rules and like the characteristics or principles of a healthy relationship. And there's this clash that happens over and over again. And the more intimate, the greater the potential conflict and clash. And so, um, and then we either go into our fight or flight reaction when we fight, then we push the person away or we react um, to varying degrees of violence and anger um, or we shut down. We, we flee. We shut down with work or with sex uh, like porn and gambling um, or we just simply go away. But at some level, it's a stress related response to shame and trauma that are so core, unfortunately, to the way we raise so many boys to be men. I definitely hear you. A lot of different things came up for me while you were talking about some of the stuff. Uh, first, and this is probably the lightest of them, is just the, the idea of sort of the name of your book or how do you market the stuff? Because oftentimes guys come in and they know that there's something wrong, right? They know that something isn't working. Somebody comes to my class, they know something's working, it isn't working. And and there's a challenge because how do you meet somebody where somebody's at and take them on this journey to where they need to, to go and they may not know where they need to go and there's going to be some resistance along the way for some of the reasons you describe, right? It forces, it forces us to evaluate ourselves in ways that we never have and, and there's a vulnerability in that. Um, it faces us to confront some past traumas that we're suppressing and that's one of the next things I'm going to go into and, and that can be fucking terrifying. Because like you said, it's it's about control, right? It's trying to, 
like all, there's all these different ways that as men we try to control things. Like we suppress our emotions. We compartmentalize things. Uh, we push our, our emotions into our body and we don't let them out. So we carry them around in our nervous system. And we disconnect from our bodies. I, I know I, I did this exercise last weekend where I, I was something triggered for me, something someone said, and someone told me, breathe into it. Like, uh, just feel that and uh, explore it and begin to breathe into it. As soon as I did that feeling and my emotions, I started crying. And as a, as a human being, we can feel, if, you, if you're listening to this and somebody says something that starts to trigger, pay attention. Where did you feel that in your body? Did you feel it in your chest? Did you feel it in your back? Did you feel it in your shoulder blade? It's there in your nervous system. That trauma is hanging out there and it hasn't got out. And so I started thinking about that. And I mean, we go into way more detail about that, but I, I want to, um, I just, for now, I just want to make people who are listening to this aware. Um, I, I thought about also a personal, one of the things that I struggle with. I realized that I struggle with the cross sections of sort of three things from time to time. One of them is being fully present because when I'm fully present, it can activate the people around me, right? It can be a, it can be a trigger because I, when we're being fully present in a way that other people aren't, we might be forthright in a way that people aren't, or we might be emotional in a way that other people around us aren't being. And, and so when I'm being fully present, it has the ability to trigger people around me. Second, when I'm conscious, when I'm being conscious or aware and I'm not shutting down, it has the ability to affect me in ways that don't always make me feel comfortable. The third thing is I realized going back to an example of one specific trauma, something like for me, abandonment when I was younger, being kicked out of the house at 18 and feeling alone and isolated and, and, uh, and feeling that emotion throughout my life. Those other two will cause me to want to withdraw or, or, or control a situation, which I'll, I might do through withdrawal or I might try to do through suppression. I might try to do through uh, compartmentalization, but it's basically shutting down those other two things that I talked about, procrastination or being present. And um, I found just being aware of this has been incredibly important for me so that I can continue to work to be fully present and to be fully conscious because when I'm in those two places, I feel I'm alive. And I'm alive as a man in a way that I'm not. I'm alive for myself. Uh, I'm alive and present for the other men that I coach or the other men around me or the people around me. Um, but everybody's going to have their own sort of version of this. And so that came up for me. And I'm sharing that with you and with the listeners because I think it's important for us to become aware of these things uh, in ourselves that are the things that we have to work, our own sort of demons or dragons that we have to battle so that we can show up in a way that's meaningful for ourselves and the people around us, people that we love. The other thing I thought about is just this, like, earlier on you were talking about suppression. And as men, we have this tendency to su suppress things and we suppress our emotions. We don't cry because we don't want the other guys to see us cry because it's weakness. We don't want to ask for help because even though we really fucking need it because we're scared we're going to look weak, right? Um, like what we really want is love and connection. But hey, when we say that, it can be scary. The other guys are like, oh, you pussy. You want fucking love. You want connection. Like, But the truth is like that's what that's what we need. And these are sort of these essential human emotions. And, and um, as you talked about the man rules, I started thinking more about 
what you said about suppression and just how much so many men are craving these things and they don't realize it until they experience it. They had a relationship where they started to feel it and then they weren't fully present. They weren't aware. They weren't, uh, they were shutting down the relationship dies. And then they're like, what happened? How do I get that back? Cause I, I had a, I had a whiff of it. <laughs> I, I had an experience of it. Um, and even what you said about sex, like I have a close friend of mine I had a conversation the other day and he was talking about how he always thought that his masculinity was tied to how many women he slept with and how frequently he slept with them and how attracted they were. And that's what our society tells us. And uh, I, I definitely advocate if you're a guy, like finding someone that you're attracted to and having a lot of sex, but you, you want to do that with somebody that you feel connected to. It's, it gives it a different level of meaning and um, you'll feel it in a, in a way that if you haven't felt it, it's hard to describe, but when you describe it, you'll remember this conversation. I mean, there's more, but I'm just curious what some of the things that I'm saying are bringing up for you. Oh, well, come on. I mean, lots. Um, I mean, I could then respond to each of your points <laughs> and everything that it's brought up for me. But, you know, what it points to me, Chris, is that the manuals are just such a part of our everyday lives that we often don't see them. And when we begin to see them, we often, that's why I call it the water, right? Because we, we see it and we're like, oh my God, I see it now. And it's like, eh, no, you're actually in a creek. You know, like you, you it, it's like it gets bigger and bigger in the depth of it. It's like, um, you know, we talk about not crying and we talk about being able to cry. And first it's like an intellectual pursuit. But I have this thing where I drill down and it's like, okay, well, you know, like let's really, you know, think about this idea of crying and not crying and how it shows up in our lives. And, you know, and I just basically say like the water runs really deep. So, you know, here's some of the ways that, you know, that it can be. So it's like, it starts off with, okay, well, you know, I don't cry. I don't want to look like a pussy, but then it gets a little bit deeper and it's kind of like, well, when's the last time I actually cried? Okay, why do I have such a hard time when other people, especially people I tend to view as maybe weaker than me, cry? And how do I react to that and respond to that? And so you begin to kind of look deeper and deeper into, you know, those those rules and how they show up and how pervasive they are. And that's a reason why I, I say that it's not just a rule, one rule for sex. Because you just named the same sentence that I said earlier when you were having that conversation with your with your friend. They go so hand in hand that it's not just like have as much sex as possible. No, it's like have as much sex as possible with as many women. Right. So it's, it's even it's got to be women. So like that's the only expression. But it's you know, I've, over the years, I've crafted, I guess you could say, my own sort of construction of all this and. And there's a reason I call it a sentence, you know, like it is a prison sentence. We are we are absolutely imprisoned by this fear of intimacy and connection and what it's relegated to very early on in our lives. You know, I, I, I have a daughter. I mean, I'm married 15 years and, you know, I've, I've got these guys I, I work with and they're like, oh, how do I get into a relationship? And then they get into a relationship. And it's like. Oh my God, how do I stay in this relationship? 
then they stay in the relationship and it's like, oh my God, I was, we, we might move in or this or that. And it's like each one of those is a different dance, is a different part of the journey. And, you know, I'm married 15 years and I can just say like, whoo, thank God for other men in my life. Thank God for my partner who also does her own work. Um, and, and thank God for just the ability to connect, disconnect, and then a commitment to reconnect. Because, I mean, I think that's what all, all relationships are that connection, disconnection, and reconnection. And, um, the man rules a lot of the time are about disconnection. Um, and so we like have to be so mindful of that. So that's what conscious masculinity is for me. And I think you, you said it is like, look, here are these rules that dominate my life have dominated my life for years. I have aware, I have varying degrees of awareness of them, but the more I treat it as a daily practice, then the more I'm able to have consciousness around it in my interactions with other men, with women, with children at work. And, you know, at, at night I can literally do an exercise where I say, okay, how did I show up as the man I want to be? What are three ways I showed up as the man I want to be? What are three ways I didn't show up as the man or the father or the partner that I want to be? But there has to be some kind of commitment to consciousness. And it doesn't happen without our engagement in that process. Like you did a men's retreat. The men's retreat is great. But what I've seen with a lot of men's retreats, a lot of that is it's like you have these powerful experiences at the retreat, but that's where the safety was. The safety is not back home or back in the work. So how do you maintain that and find a way, I think like you were talking about, to integrate it in a safe way, but also now in a place where you don't necessarily have that support unless you're very intentional about continuing to create it and continuing to have it in your life. And I'm still in recovery. I still have that support. And I'm incredibly grateful that it's just become a part of how I live and operate is to reach out to men and connect at a really open and vulnerable and honest um, level and get that kind of support and not get, you know, caught up in the pretense a lot of the times that the man rules demand so that we don't look weak and look vulnerable. Yeah, I, th I think that's great. There's a few things I want to go into. Um, one is for guys who are listening to this, who are younger guys, <laughs> and this might be a little bit sound a little far out for some of them. Um, there is a payoff, and a couple of the payoffs are one: not only will you feel better, but if you're a guy who's listening to this and you want to learn to attract women, women will be drawn to you <laughs> if you're fully present and you're conscious, and your masculinity will come out and women will be drawn to you and they will want to fuck you. <laughs> so that's, that is one thing I would say. Second, you'll naturally emerge as a leader within your group. And, and that's something else for a lot of guys are trying to figure out they're coming up and trying to figure out how do I, how do I come up? Who am I? What do I need? What is my craft? How am I going to support myself? How do I be, become a leader? And these things, ha a lot of guys try to rush them. They happen organically throughout the course of their life. But as you, you become more embodied, this will happen. And so that leads to the third thing is you can't fake being present. <laughs> you can't fake being conscious. Uh, so 
I just wanted to slip that message into the guys who are listening to this, who some of this might sound a little woo woo for them, but just like go down that path and see, explore, be curious, see where it takes you. I I wouldn't be talking about these things if I didn't know that they were going to take you to where you want to go. That's That's the first thing I wanted to mention. The second thing is for some of the guys who are listening to this, they are very conscious that they've been down that path for a while uh, of things that weren't working and they feel it. And uh, for you guys, this is uh, like things like the man rules are a clear tool and there are other tools. And so that's well, this leads me back to the next question I have for you, Dan. You talked about your maintenance process. I know I have some things like I went to a retreat last weekend. I have another one I'm going to, but I have a lot of other things that I also do to try to stay fully present and conscious. And I'm curious if you can share, I'll share some of the things that I do, but I'd like you to share some of the things that you, you do. Yeah, no, that's great. And I think that's really important in our, in our, in my podcast, I have a podcast called the man rules podcast surprise, right? Um, and, uh, at the end of every podcast, we talk about the practical and the tactical. We we really break down, and I ask my guests to come on and make sure that they've got their top three takeaways for um, our listeners so that they, it's actionable. But before we get into that, I want to go back to what you said because I want to offer my own kind of caution or thoughts around that idea of women will want to fuck you and um, you'll be a natural leader and all that stuff. Um, I would just say maybe. And and I think it's important to say maybe in the sense that it can be a lonely road to become more present and conscious. It's not for the faint of heart. There are a lot of people who will not be attracted to you because you are more present, because you are authentic, because women are in the women rules and they're in the idea that they it's it's a mix. And if you identify as heterosexual and you're looking to get laid and you're looking to have sex, I mean, it's great. Look for it. It is an empty pursuit if that's your kind of sole purpose. And I don't think you can be conscious. In fact, I know you can't be conscious and just try to get laid. It. I have yet to meet a man for whom that works. But I have met a lot of men who as they, and I just was talking to a good friend the other day, and it's just so amazing how he's able to interact with women because of his consciousness. So he's able to say, just be very open and honest. And he's been able to be very vulnerable, and he has been met with a big fat shut door because the woman did not know how to deal with that level of vulnerability. And a part of her just wanted somebody who was not going to engage with her at that level, you know, and that's one of the woman rules, unfortunately, is, is like this idea that what I, what I say a lot, and it's not always received that well, but I think there's some truth to it is one of the ways that men disconnect by with relationships is by disconnecting. But in heterosexual relationships, one of the ways that women disconnect is by complaining about the man's inability to connect. And so as soon as that man shows up and says, oh, I'm here, I'm vulnerable, I'm authentic, I'm conscious. And then they're like, uh, um, 
because they haven't necessarily been shown or taught that either. And then the idea of leadership, I think as long as we've got the right definition of what a leader is, you know, the, the challenge sometimes of, and I'm not saying you, but I've spent a lot of time in this space and I've watched a lot of people come and go. And I've also heard a lot of different messages. And um, when we started our podcast, I, I put it out there. I'm like, and you can still go to our Apple podcast in the first three and you can hear me say, if you're coming to this podcast to get laid, this is probably not the podcast for you. If you're coming to the podcast to figure out how to make money, it's probably not the podcast for you. But if you're coming out to the podcast to figure out how you can be the best man that you can be, then this is probably the podcast for you. And as you move into that journey, you may find that then these other areas open up for you. But what I can say is that the man rules in the pursuit of this idea of success is probably one of the greatest downfalls of so much of what we call men's work. And it's this idea that if I get healthy, if I get emotionally grounded, then I'm still I'm still striving for that golden chalice, that idea of success that society still says. But this is what success is. And I got to tell you, Chris, having worked in the uh, mental health field for 20 plus years, you'd be amazed how many Well, probably wouldn't be amazed, actually, because you do this work. But I mean, how many multimillionaires, famous, incredibly famous people? I mean, I've, I've been with them all and. It is an empty, it's like scraping from an empty barrel if success is the motivation for happiness rather than the byproduct of living a more conscious life. I think those are very great points and they're very valid. I, a few things came up. One is, one of the things I tell people is like focus on yourself. It's it's the mass of the sun that keeps the planets in orbit. And as you continue to work on yourself and develop yourself, you'll attract a lot of the things that you want in your life. And sometimes some of the things that you think you want now uh, might not be the things that you want six months, a year, five years from now, um, as you sort of sort through and find your own truths, your own deeper truths, you start listening to yourself. And when it comes to consciousness, for me, it's not just about being conscious of, of yourself. It is, that's a huge part of it, but it's also being conscious of, as I said earlier, the people around you and how, they're responding and how they're showing up and how that affects affects you both emotionally and in your body, how it affects your thoughts and your feelings. And in that way, not only will you connect, like as that consciousness increases, not only will you be able to connect more, um, some of the dating stuff will become easier uh, in certain ways. It's also going to be, uh, some things are going to become more difficult. As you said, not everybody is in a place, women have their own conditioning and uh, not all of them are going to be in a place where they're able to deal with this stuff. Um, it's going to be overwhelming for some of them. They're going to shut down. You'll feel that, and it's, it doesn't always feel great. But uh, when I talk about the fact that you are going to have more, like it potentially could have your effect on your sex life, like what I'm saying is for the younger guys who are doing this, um, that that consciousness of being aware. And I'm thinking really specifically of one guy that I'm mentoring and uh, he asked me last night, I was saying I ran into to somebody and 
Oh, I went to a dinner, and after the dinner, I ended up talking to this woman for a while who's going through a pretty significant trauma. We talked through it, and she actually te- texted me right as we started this podcast. She wanted to meet up and talk through a few things. And we had a long conversation afterwards, and he asked me, he's like, are you attracted to her? Because I'm was, i essentially, I'm helping her. And I said, my mind doesn't work like yours does. Like, I'm just helping her to help her. And where he would have helped her because he had an agenda. And I know that for a lot of younger guys, like that's sort of how they work. But when you you show up in your present, I'm only doing this because I connected with this woman emotionally and I care about her well-being. Like that, that is it. There isn't zero agenda uh, other than if I can help this woman in a way that connects with her, then I, w- I want to do it. Um, and it connects with me because I resonate. I was on the same frequency as her yesterday. But a lot of guys who are coming, to this, coming into this, they're not in that place they have sort of an agenda and a strong agenda and it's important to begin to let that go and and to be able to see it and for sure that's the first step is the water right it's to be yeah and yeah. Uh, but if you're showing up in that way like for those guys who are worried i'm going to be vulnerable and once i'm vulnerable uh i'm never going to get like this guy's f- fear was is if he's like one of his fears because i know him so well because i'm in a mentor situation with him is that he is open and vulnerable, that he's never going to be able to have his sexual needs met. And like what I tried to, even I took a photo of him the other day for some something and he wanted to look, he was smiling in the photo. It was a great photo. I caught this like candid moment of him where like he was feeling great and emotions were coming up. And he goes, I think the, the photo should look more serious. And I said, well, what do you mean? He's like, well, and he's like, shows me pictures of these guys, he knows who like are looking serious and like sort of hard because he associates it with masculinity. And I said, you, that's a great photo that I just took of you. It feels real and authentic because I caught a real and authentic moment. I think you should post that, but you need to do whatever you feel like you need to do. But just trust that my intent is to bring you to the place where you want to be. And I know what that means. Like It, it means that you want to feel connected to to people. I know that you want to have an active sex life because uh, you, you've never had one up until this point in your life. I know that like you, you want to feel successful and you want to feel love and connection and validation. Like I, I know these things and I'm trying to bring you to a place where you'll get them. So you can choose not to take my advice. Um, and I could be wrong, but I've done this over a long time. This is the, this is the direction you need to, to go. And it feels, as you said, scary and lonely. Um, at times, but it's, it's part of the journey. So I, I, I wanted to clarify a few of those yeah, things. Yeah, no, and I think that's great. You know, meeting people where they're at is, you're right. I mean, it's, it's really a critical piece. And, and, you know, for your listeners, what I would caution is this is deep work. For sure. And it, <laughs> and it can get really deep. And so part of our job is to, to really support them in dipping their toes in the water rather than jumping into the deep end as, as you know, a lot of men tend to do, which is like, oh yeah, I'm going to do this. I'm going to be the best vulnerable person ever. I'm going to be the most conscious dude ever. And it's like, I've definitely ground across that. Like I'm thinking of somebody that I know where he's like trying to be so socially conscious. He's like suppressed all his needs. And uh, you just, everyone around him can feel that it's inauthentic. And, and, and it's what we call a, a spiritual bypass, right? It's a great, uh, great concept. A friend of mine actually wrote a book about it um, called, I think it's called the spiritual bypass. But the idea is that 
the tools that we're using for increased consciousness become the block to actual consciousness, which is, it gets, you know, it, the longer we do this practice, the more we're susceptible to that, not less. And, you know, that's been my experience. And so it's, it's, so you're right. You know, it's like there, there are guys who are just starting where it's like, they're thinking like, what are you guys even talking about? And it's like, I just don't want to be lonely. It's like, okay, great. So then what's the solution for not being lonely, having sex? Okay. Try that and come back and tell me how that worked. If that, if that solved the loneliness. Okay, I don't want to feel weak or less than. So if I could just have a, if I could be famous or if I could have a, you know, a lot of money, you know, okay, well, let's see what you do when you have a lot of money. It's, you know, probably one of the greatest uh, depictions of this is Bill Murray in Groundhog Day. And it's like, he does everything. Are you familiar with the movie? Yep. You know, so it's like, He's given this first. It's like a curse. He keeps having to relive the same day over and over again. But then he's like, oh, wait a second. I can get laid. I can do this. I can do this. But he's miserable. And until he realizes that his day, the 24 hours that he's given to live over and over again is all about making somebody else's life better and being of service. That he's miserable, that he's. He's literally miserable and he can't kill himself. He tries numerous ways to kill himself when he's scraping that barrel of what society says is going to make men happy. And it's such a wonderful and funny movie. But I mean, it's 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 really true. I think those of us who are, you know, at a different point of the journey, we have an obligation to share our experience, not in a judgmental way, but in a way that says, like, look, man, I mean, I. I've, I've been there. I've, I've, I've had the money and I felt the emptiness. I published a book and I still felt the emptiness. I got the really hot wife and I felt the emptiness, you know, like it's not, you cannot, you cannot fill it from the outside. It's, it's, it's a hole that cannot be filled from the outside. And that's like so contrary or contradictory to the man rules or to how men feel like they have to live. But what's so awesome to me and like with the work you're doing and that so many other men are out there is in the 21st century, this conversation is blowing up and more and more men are looking for something different. They're expressing their masculinity and themselves as fathers and as partners differently. And the one caution I give is that because the man rules run so deep in who we are that we just have to be conscious of how they show up rather than saying, Oh, well, that's not me. I, I don't, I don't live that way. That was my dad or that was that it's like, no, you're in the water. Dating coach Chris Thoney here. This is the perfect time to take a quick break to talk to you about three simple things that you can do to dramatically change your life. First, Listen to this entire podcast and then subscribe through SoundCloud, iTunes, or Stitcher. This way you'll immediately be notified every time we share a new release. If you listen and apply the ideas we discuss on these podcasts, it will change your life forever. Second, go to craftchristmas.com, 
create an account, and become a member of our community. There you can read articles, listen to podcasts, watch videos, ask us questions, and document your journey in our forums. Great men don't become great on their own. All great men are members of a community, and Craft Charisma is your community. Finally, if you're serious, and I know that you are, about making massive changes to your life as quickly as possible, check out our live coaching programs on our website. Craft Charisma live programs are the fastest way to improve your dating and social life. And who knows? Attend our live programs, let us get to know you, and you may end up as a member of the Craft Charisma team. Again, thank you for listening. Now back to the podcast. I want to say a couple of things and then I want to I want to hear your thoughts. One is I had a conversation with one of my best friends last night and he's, I would consider him highly conscious. It's a journey he started about five years ago and he's a guy who slept with probably 150 women. I mean, he, he connected masculinity to how many women he slept with for sure. And he's told me that. And he saw it in his dad. He saw his grandfather. He saw it in the men growing up. And... He thought that was the way that he needed to be as a man. He saw it as, in his uncle, like it was a major, major uh, male model for him. And then he got, he started to feel resentful of the way he behaved and started to feel a sense of shame and, and started feeling all these different emotions. And so he started this consciousness journey and he's like one of the most conscious guys I know. Uh, but he got to a point and I could see it where he started to resent other men and he started to really hate men because he thought they were the problems for everything in, in, in the world. War, uh, rape, like all the traumas to women, like just sort of all, all these different things. He associated them with men. And basically he thought he was above other men, that he was unique, that he was special. Essentially, he created a new layer of protection based on the fact that he was conscious and other men weren't and yes. it, it was a, and so when you started talking about that i said i was like yeah i, I get it I, like i i hear i hear it i see it and uh it was really funny because this conversation like we really connected i'm like you know i was trying like i was trying to communicate that to you a couple years ago and and it just like it wasn't resonating just like he was trying to communicate things to me a few years ago that i w- wasn't connecting with and um so, so that was one thing the other thing i wanted to say well, let me let me just jump in yeah. here really quick because I mean, like that's it, right? I mean, like that's the next level of stuff that we then have to be really, really mindful about because it again, it's like it's so amazing to me because it's like again, it's like that's the man rules again. It's like the man rules are saying I'm the top dog, I'm the I'm the most evolved one, and then it's still about disconnection though. That's the that's the sad thing. You know, is that we still feel disconnected. And I just went through that in a really profound way is is my my past trauma became the defining way that I did my work and I shared my story. And as a, as a result of that, it, it, it over defined me. And and so here I was out there being like this paragon of sort of a, a conscious masculinity and connection and yet feeling really disconnected and lonely because it was separating me from other men and it was separating me from other people. And it was almost like, here's this work I offer to you, but I can't experience it because that's the cross I have to bear, you know, some Catholic perversion that I got that got twisted in it as well. And so it's 
all the spiritual gurus, everybody, it's like there's you're never there. You're never there. Like it's always it's a conscious journey and it's and we can always go back to sleep. And um, the scariest thing is going back to sleep when you think you're awake. I, I think that's a profound statement and it's a very important point. I, I want to two things come up and I have another question. One is I want to go back to my friend. One of the, the massive breakthroughs he recently had was he realized that, that he wasn't better. Like this is just his fucking ego and that he, maybe his purpose now is to love and connect these other guys who are also on this journey and lead them to more consciousness. And, but basically to be, to come into a role as a leader. And I thought that was really interesting because I, I had done a podcast with a guy a while back and he talked about, and I don't remember the exact model, but um, it's just, just this idea that like you do something, you're disciplined about it, uh, you develop competency and like, and that's how you acquire, acquire leadership skills. And a lot of guys want to like read books on how to stand and how to move and like what, how the way a leader thinks. And, and these models are, are good. But the the way that in my experience, somebody evolves as a leader is a quality leader is they go through something, they go through the journey, they go into the depths of hell, they come back out the other side, like they experience it. And I can use a more practical example. Somebody d does math problems for 20 years and then they teach other people how to do math problems, they're a math teacher. Or like it's, it's like, it's, it's the competency and that comes from experience and discipline. And that's how we, and we can feel it when we're around somebody who really understands something. And I agree with him, like knowing him so well, I feel like that probably is his path. And but that path of purpose is, is sort of leading men, not in everything, but in this sort of specific journey that he went through and places where he had made meaningful progress. And and so that was a massive breakthrough for him that really resonated. Um, the second thing I wanted to say, and, and this is a little bit earlier, is I know that for me, one of the challenges that I have is I have to meet some meet guys where they're at now. And there's a journey that I find that a lot of guys who come into our, our classes go through. And the first one is they just want to date more, right? Or they want to have, be sexually active. Or so first they want to just date and be sexually active. Um, then, then they want to date more and be more sexually active. Then they, they want to date more attractive women. And then once they get to that, that person, they've met somebody that they really like or they date a bunch of attractive, whatever. They want to feel connected because they feel this massive void or this massive emptiness that they don't know how to fill and they've never been able to articulate because they've been playing by, as you described, the man rules. But I, one of the things I have to, I have to figure out as a, a mentor is figure out how to bridge these two points. And, and part of the process for me is like trying to be constantly honest and sort of vulnerable and be sort of model. Like I, I constantly talk about the issues that I'm having and the traumas that I, I've dealt with or are going through because I want guys to understand that, that that's normal. Right, like we are going to acquire traumas over the course of our life. We might feel embarrassed when we talk about. It, we might feel like more control when we don't. I, this came up with another guy mentor uh, over the last couple of days, and he's part of this group that I'm involved in. And he's like, you know, I, he goes, I don't really like when we add new people to the group because then I have to open up to more people about uh, some of these things I've already opened up about, and it makes me feel more exposed. And I said, well, the power comes from when that doesn't affect you anymore. And maybe it affects you a little bit, but no longer inhibits you. And so I, I was curious, you talked a little bit about some of some major traumas you've been through. Um, you said there's like a life defining one. Do you feel comfortable talking about it? Oh, sure. I mean, uh, it's, it's interesting, right? I mean, if you read my book, A Man's Way Through Relationships, I mean, 
it's it it's how I wrote my how I wrote that book, and in many ways that served a lot of men. Like it, men read that and they're like, "Holy cow!" Like I didn't know we could be that honest about our lives and about our, you know, and 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 I try to reframe trauma because, you you know, we talk, you and I are talking about trauma. We see it. We we see the reality of it. But being feel, a man, we feel it. <laughs> we, well, we, we feel it. But we also we see it. Yeah. It. And we have a name for it now. Before we used to feel it and it was like, oh, that person's an asshole. Or we'd feel it and be like, oh, man, I just we, – we couldn't even acknowledge rejection or isolation. It usually was about the other person, right? And and it was usually anger. And, and it's like now we have a sense of like, oh, shit, this is about me. And then even more, it's like, oh, my God, this is about the past. But part of being a man – and this this to me is like the – this is like the central rub of all of this is part and parcel of being a man is not having pain. And so how, how do you acknowledge pain, acknowledge trauma? If it means surrendering the essence of who you are. And I think that's the challenge. And so what I say all the time is like, you know, the best way for a man not to have trauma is to say, I, I don't have trauma, you know, or to look at an event and say, oh, that wasn't traumatic. You know, my buddy, he went through this. Now that was trauma. But me, my dad just yelled at me. My dad did this. My dad, my mom did this. My, I, this happened, this happened. And it's like, we explain it away, but you can hear it in a man's voice where it's like, oh no, like I can hear that that's is still with you. And it still affects you. And now you're just trying to convince yourself to get over it because that's what that's what they think there's they have to do. And so, like, there's this constant that shame and that trauma is just pulling us down. It's like the undertow of the water. And um, and so I think that's, you know, how how can we be mindful of that? That's the thrust. I mean, yeah, my my. My traumas defined me for a long time. At first, they defined me because of my resistance to acknowledge the pain that they were causing. Then they defined me by my acknowledgement of them and inability to ultimately, I would say, move beyond them as a defining characteristic. And because it became my job, so to speak, my profession. I mean, people would hire me and pay me a lot of money to speak about men and trauma and shame. And I just got lost in that because my story was so central to that piece. And so I just basically kept re-traumatizing myself. But, you know, what, what I'll share is um, and this continues to unfold for me because that that depth of I don't want to look weak. I don't want to be a pussy. I don't want to admit that this still hurts. Um, those, it's these layers and layers of trauma. But the the kind of the big T traumas that we talk like there's big T trauma and there's small T trauma. The growth problem was a huge issue for me uh, because you know, it was the loss in my mind. It was the loss of masculinity. I was like a popular, I was like the most popular, um, 
smartest kid in school in elementary school and then these other boys start growing i didn't start growing and it i let it define me and i let it define me to the point where i'm like that now i'm in high school and i still haven't grown and it's a catholic boys school and we got to take showers still back then and i refused to take a shower and the coach forced me to take a shower so like that's trauma right because you lose the ability to act freely and and that's a huge thing for men to acknowledge is like that's how things become traumatic is when our ability to make a decision for safety and security is taken away from us and that happens a lot i mean you know and unfortunately we still kind of think of trauma as being um you know about war or about you know violence but think of all these athletes and think of all the ways that they've been forced to surrender their safety and security for the success of the team or the ego of the coach or their own feeling like they have to give something of them you know they have to sacrifice themselves in order to you know be popular so um or to you know to be great whatever whatever it is and that's not all athletes i'm just simply saying that men's trauma can show up in lots of ways that we don't necessarily even think about it because until we begin to see the water until we begin to acknowledge the possibility of it we we just the biggest experience i have is when and this is professionals who've been working in the field of addiction and mental health for years when they go through like my retreats or my workshops and they come out on the other end and they're like holy shit I never thought of that as trauma. And like, that's it. That's, that's the awakening. So, you know, I grew up in an alcoholic home. Um, my dad was a very intelligent man, but he also had a really bad temper. And, um, you know, it's taken me, it's, it's taken me attempting to create a safe and loving home and how hard that has been for me to realize how much how cheated i was from just what any child should have as a basic experience and oftentimes what men hear when they hear that is like well i had that too so i mean blah, blah, blah. and and we we dismiss the fact that no i'm not what i'm saying is like think about a child that you love being treated the way you were treated would you ever stand for it and if the answer is no then like that's part of the work is to honor that pain and to realize like the pain of that 6-year-old and that 13-year-old and that 17-year-old or wherever it comes from is still with you and like you said very early in this conversation in your body and in your mind and it, and it shows up in insidious ways and so like it's um for me it's it's been this ongoing process of acknowledging you know certain things as trauma that i never even thought of as trauma and the more i clean it out the more i kind of grieve the loss of certain things or or i begin to have that awareness the more i'm able to like look at certain experiences that i still kind of wince at or just have some discomfort around and just say okay so there's some healing or some work that can be done around that and then that's just going to free me up a little bit more 
And, and it's not about it, about being a victim or defining me. It's just like, Oh, okay. There's an opportunity for some, some of my awareness there. Let, let me have some conversation, get some support around it and see if there's anything else that might be required, or maybe I just needed to share it. Who knows? Yeah. I thought of a few things. One is your dad was probably, I mean, alcohol was probably one of the ways that he medicated the fact that he didn't know how to express these things, right? Like guys usually can express anger. A lot of these other things they have trouble with because of what you described the man rules, um, or they can be described by the man rules, but he, he was probably dealing with a lot of shit that didn't know how to express and, and, and self-medicated. Right. And, and it makes sense that you use that same model as a young man to suppress your own set of traumas. Cause every, human being as part of the, the their life journey is going to acquire some, but it makes sense that you went through a similar process. So the question I would ask myself, and you may have asked yourself, probably asked yourself is, do you want to do that to your children? Right. And so Jesus, do, do, do you, not ask that question. <laughs> yeah. Do, do you want, <laughs> well, a lot of people don't. Right. And that's where like, if you're a guy listening to this, you're like, okay, well, my dad did this, his dad did this to him. Like I'm realizing that I'm fucking doing some of this crap. Do I want to do this to my kids? Right. And if that right there is, a, um, especially if you're listening to this and you become a young, you're a dad or you already are a dad. It's a fucking important question to ask. It's a huge question. And I, I will give a quick plug because that's the book I'm working on right now is how to be a conscious father in an imperfect world. And, um, as an imperfect journey. And I, and I don't have the exact title for the book and I'm waiting to hear back from my publisher on, you know, but I have been writing it and writing it in a way that it had, I've been kind of sitting on it. And, and now it's just like really coming to me. So I know that like it's time, it's the right time for it. But there's a line that I probably put into every chapter multiple times. And I ask your listeners to take this in, write it down, and remember it because it is an inescapable truth. And that is we repeat what we don't repair. Period. Period. We repeat what we don't repair. So that's what we have before us. If we grew up in a certain experience and a certain thing, it's in us, it's there. And the degree to which we resist it is the degree to which we will repeat it, even if it looks the opposite of how it looked for us. I hear that for sure. It's as strong of argument as any for doing this deep work, right? Going out there and figuring out what you got down there and and working through it. And yeah, I think it's an absolutely great line. I'm, I look forward to, to reading your book when it comes out. I have a couple of questions. I know we we are constrained on time. We said we do an hour. We're already about an hour. Um, can you talk a little bit about the women rules? Because you mentioned it early in the podcast, and I want yeah. the guys who are to listen to this to understand yeah. what is some of the shit that women go through. What are some of the constraints that they do? Because it's easy to get angry at them and get upset yeah. at them and blame them. Um, like they're there's this whole online community of men that's dedicated toward instead of acknowledging how hurt they are, they're angry at women. And, um, there's some justification in the anger in the sense that the woman rules and the way it's playing out in our society is really 
um, it's really challenging. Um, and I'm really glad you asked about that. I, I was doing this work for a long time and, um, I don't know if you're familiar, familiar with Brene Brown, but you know, I had a similar experience that Brene Brown had in that I was doing all this stuff for men and there were a lot of women in my audiences. In fact, mostly women in my audiences. And they were like, why aren't you talking about the woman rules? And I'm like, because there are a lot of people talking about the woman rules and all that shit. Nobody's doing this for men. And, um, and they're like, but we're here. (laughs) And it just became so clear to me that it was so disingenuous and irresponsible of me to not have the fuller conversation. So then of course I start talking about it and then they get mad at me for talking about it, but that's all right. Um, (laughs) the, the woman rules, you know, again, we could do the exercise because this is what I do with my audiences. I say, like, what are some of the rules for being a woman that girls learn? And inevitably, the two biggest ones are what do you think the two biggest ones are? For women, probably yeah. one's to be beautiful. Yep. Always, always be beautiful. One is to be beautiful. And the second one, mm, I'm not really sure what the second one was. The, th- the thing that comes up is like, is like sort of pleasing the people around them. Maybe you got uh, it. You got it. Take care of everyone, but yourself. So, and then there's others, right? But be, be beautiful. Always be, be thin. Always be a mom, be nurturing. Um, be, uh, you know, there's that, that old saying, um, be a lady on the streets, but a freak in the sheets. And, and that's the way that women's sexuality gets taken from them. You know, men's sexuality, ba- basically the way the man rules and the woman rules meet is they are, they often tend to be the opposites of each other. So men are show no feelings other than anger. Women are, you're only allowed vulnerable feelings, but no anger. And so like the path to men's kind of wholeness is through our grief work and the path to women's wholeness is through their anger work because it's like they begin to get in, get in touch with that. But here's, here's something I really want your listeners to think about when they, because you start doing this work and you start seeing how men have been treated and maybe even how women have treated men. And it's like, it's really easy to think, Oh God, women are the ones who have it so easy. And, you know, or men are victims to women and all that sort of stuff. And, and that's why I think the concept that I use of the water works so, so much better because we're all in the water. (laughs) We're all in this together and we've all been impacted by it. And, and one's suffering is not greater than the others. And so you have one group of people who are arguing for their suffering being worse than the others. And then the other group arguing for the exact same thing and both of them dismissing each other's pain. And what you alluded to earlier, like with, with, um, uh, the fathers or even the man, um, the good friend of yours who kind of went on that spiritual bypass sort of journey. What I'm learning so much and my wife is the core one teaching me. This is the role of empathy in all of this. And as men, we have to learn how to empathize with women because from the moment women are born, 
they are treated as inferior. The man rules are about superiority and men constantly striving to prove that we have value that can always be taken away and we never quite get there. But for women, it's not only feeling as though they don't have the same amount of value, it's being told in numerous ways that they don't. And so um, it gets it gets challenging. And I think in the conversation that we're having, this 21st century conversation, it's even more challenging because if we're going to have a real honest conversation, then it has to be the both end of talking about how women can be hurtful and how the woman rules can lead women to do some really ugly and hurtful things toward men. And while at the same time, understanding that there's a whole system of power that exists that has relegated women to some really, really horrible places. And, um, you know, you see that with the Me Too movement in the sense that this is women speaking up, sharing their pain. The danger is that being as, as part of that, the idea that men are perpetrators and that men don't have their own experiences with that victimization. And so like the greatest barrier to spiritual growth is either or thinking. And um, I think with the woman rules, what we have to really acknowledge is that they're in the water too. They have their own experiences. And part of the woman rules is about everybody else's pain matters other than their own. And, and that can get really ugly um, in ways because um, women don't necessarily feel like they have a real voice and a place for their needs and their feelings and their pain. Um, and it comes out sideways a lot of the time, but maybe the last thing I'll say about the woman rules before um, hearing your thoughts on it is when I was doing these talks with women um, and I started talking about the woman rules, when it occurred to me that the man rules were about safety, I just automatically assumed the woman rules were about safety too. So I talk about it with women and women were like, yeah, it's, you know, it's safe. It's, you, you know, we get acceptance and security by following these rules. But then I had some more kind of some women who really have done a lot of work can challenge that idea. And they said, well, let's, let's think about this. If I'm a woman and I follow these rules perfectly, Am I more likely to be objectified or less likely to be objectified? And then they said, okay, if I'm a woman and I resist these rules and I refuse to play by those rules, am I more likely to be assaulted and objectified or less likely? And it, what became clear, Chris, was that at this point in our society, whether they follow the rules or not, women have a much less experience of a sense of safety. And I think that's, I think that's really important for us to understand. Now, when you get into the conversations about men and our emotional safety, you know, that's, it, it, it becomes a little bit more nuanced. But when I saw that following the woman rules doesn't give safety and not following the woman rules doesn't give safety, that was pretty profound. It's interesting. Um, yeah, a few things come up. I was thinking about a relationship I had with a girl who at one point she told me early in the relationship, I mean, she's a 
very successful woman. Uh, she said, she tells me men are irrelevant. And she's a highly conscious woman. And I was, I remember thinking, well, I remember that next time you want to orgasm, <laughs> but, but, um, but, but it was like, it's disturbing because she's a, a really conscious, she's a really conscious woman. And the reality is, is that we need each other, right? I mean, whether it's, I'm using a sexual example, but I mean, there's lots of studies that are around this. I, mean, I, th I think I responded from my memory. I responded to her with. Well, I know how I responded with her, and I don't remember the details of the article, but I'd read this article in the New York Times about how there were um, more trading firms that were using men and women um, fund managers because men tend to be take more risks and women tend to be more risk adverse. And so they're using that to balance out their portfolios, which at different times in the market can be optimal. And that was a practical example. And then her response was, she thought about it for a second. She goes, well, that's why you get married. <laughs> and... Um, but it was just sort of, it was sort of funny. Uh, I also remember a conversation I had with her where I had to tell her, like she had a tendency to really be like pleasing and try, try to be happy most of the time. And uh, the vast majority of the time when I'd ask her about things and I said like, look, I, I need you to be honest. And she's like, well, I just don't think it helps anything. And I said, yeah, but if I don't understand what you really need, I can't be your partner. It doesn't mean I'm going to fix your problems now. Or it doesn't mean I'm going to ever fix them. But at least I know what's really happening with you. I can, if something comes up, I might be able to help you. Or I might, at least I understand. Uh, or maybe I can push something in your direction that, that will help you solve it. But when you are suppressing, you're constantly trying to please, which she did a lot more. I mean, maybe not, she didn't with, she didn't do it with a gut reaction of, of uh, men being irrelevant. But she would do so much that even if she thought she was being present, she wasn't. Right, she wasn't really being present. She was suppressing and trying to control and compartmentalize in a way that you describe is consistent with the woman rules. And the other thing that um, I thought about was just when you describe the woman rules, it makes sense that so many women in our society right now are fighting for power. Right, this idea that they're fighting for power, and um, there's definitely some power discrepancies, and women have a lot of shit to bitch about. But these, as you described earlier, these as you go into your own camp and you sort of like ruminate about some of these things and regurgitate them and, and build political or psychological philosophies around, around them. Like you can miss the point, which is about connection and growth. And we do really need each other. And, and I thought about just the fact that as human beings, men and women constantly traumatize each other. Women, I think in our society have as part of probably what I would describe as the women rules have a tendency to, play the victim more often than men do i mean and maybe that could be i could be incorrect in that but i feel like that they do and and men tend to accept that in the sense they're like oh it, when a men feel like a woman is um is her or they, they try to sort of like it makes them maybe it makes them feel more masculine or whatever but like we fall into these roles and and um and just it's important to understand that we both hurt each other and, and we're in our own pain. We all have our own pain and it's important to recognize our own pain, which we've spent a lot of this podcast uh, talking about, but it's also important to understand the pain of the person we're sitting across the table from and we're trying to connect to and interact because unless you acknowledge both, you can't have a candid conversation and begin the healing and build that connection, or at least in my opinion. Well, no, and that's why there are two sides, right? There are two sides of the same coin, both fighting for who's more 
oppressed or more, more suffering. And the, the challenge though, is that, um, the man rules in general, I believe lead us down a path toward perpetration. And I, I don't mean all men are perpetrators. I just mean left unchecked and at their extreme, particularly when you build in the shame and trauma, it leads toward perpetration. And the woman rules left unchecked at their most toxic, at their most kind of shame and trauma lead toward victimization. And if we're not conscious of that, it plays out in very, very ugly, insidious ways in our interactions with each other. Um, and, you know, there's a great, have you ever heard of the Carpman Triangle? No, explain it. Oh, man, it's a brilliant, brilliant concept. And basically, it's, you have, it's, it's, a, it's exactly what it sounds like, right? So it's a triangle, it's a conceptual triangle um, that shows how people interact all the time in relationships. And you have the victim, the persecutor, and the rescuer. And they show up as a triangle and it's basically, we are constantly moving in those different parts in our relationships with people. And all, all people, all human beings do it. Um, the man rules are more about being a persecutor, uh, but we can easily fall into victim and rescuer. And then the women rules are more about being a rescuer and a victim. So there's a gendered component to it, but it's also just about the constant dance of connection and disconnection in all relationships. And it's just, I found a great, great model for talking about the complexity of conflict and relationships in a way that helps us to see like even women who really even have been victimized or can feel like victims, they can be horrible persecutors and perpetrators. And because they, they can't see it because they have defined their identity around being a victim. And so they, they there's no responsibility for how much their behavior hurts and influences, you know, that part of the relationship. And the same thing for men, you know, who um, most perpetration is driven by a, feel, a feeling of being a victim anyway. So, I mean, that's, you know, it's not a human tendency to go to persecute somebody else unless there's a fear or a, you know, a past experience of victimization, I believe. I think that's a, a great point. I have a feeling guys express a little bit less than women do, but I think, uh, or verbalize it directly. I don't think they, I don't know if they verbalize it directly, but I think that's a very, very profound point. Dan, this has been absolutely incredible. Thank you for taking the time to talk to me and sharing all your wisdom. It's been a pleasure. If you guys are listening to this, uh, still want you to know, I love you. Um, <laughs> and if you, if you want to learn more about Dan and everything that he does. I'm going to post some links on the Craft of Christmas website and within the description of this podcast so that you can find out about him and his work more easily. Thank you again for chatting with me. Oh, Chris, it's been great. I really have appreciated the uh, conversation and the engagement and uh, all the different areas that we've journeyed to. So thanks for having me on. Thanks for your time and thanks for everything you're doing. Um, I think you have a lot a lot of uh, great things to offer. And I think the men who have you in their lives um, 
really have been given a gift of someone who is 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 walking this journey with one hand forward and one hand back and that's great yeah it's it's we're all in this together there you go it's dating coach chris thoney here Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. And we absolutely love making this podcast. We make this podcast for you. So if there's somebody that you want on the show, let me know. I will yell, scream, stand in front of their house, do everything I do to get them on the show for you. Also, don't hesitate to follow the podcast on SoundCloud and iTunes and Stitcher. You can also give us a shout out through social media, Facebook, Twitter, share it with your friends. And lastly, Go to the Craft Christmas website and create an account. There you can talk about the podcast and communicate with me directly. So thank you again for taking time to listen. You will hear again from me soon.